on, let's give God a praise for being our Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. Anybody know him to be Jehovah Rophah, the God that heals? Anybody know him to be Jehovah Nisi, the God that's my banner? Come on, y'all don't know. Okay, uh, I just, uh, Amen, amen. Great City, this is the last week of our real news series, The Power of Stories. And we spent 10 weeks looking at biblical stories and the power of those stories. And my prayer is that you were blessed by those stories. We talked about the power of being in our stories in Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. We, week 2, we told you, don't be crippled by your own story in John chapter 5. Week 3, we told you that there's uh, plans from Joseph in your stories. We talked about the stories that collide in Luke chapter 19. We talked about the hitchhiker guide to the kingdom in Acts. We looked at those spoke who have the, the God that, that meets us when we feel like we don't have enough. We also looked at the question, whose story is it anyway? We also looked at the story entitled Strangers in a Strange Land in Numbers. And then we looked at the Chronicles of Stephen. And then last week, we looked at the history of slavery in Exodus. Great City, stories are powerful. And my prayer is that over these last 10 weeks, that you share your story and you listen to someone else's story so that you can get the real news and the power of each other's story. So I'll ask you, if you haven't done that, let's continue to do that and begin to share each other's story. It's so important. But let me pray for us. Our Father and our God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the privilege and honor to be together. God, you are the potter, we are the clay. Mold us, shape us, make us, break us to what you need us to be. Holy Spirit, we give you full authority. Minister through our minds. Speak with our tongue. Love with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say amen, amen. This week we're going to conclude our series in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. This is the word of the Lord in your hearing. The wife of a man from the company of a prophet cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditors is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Elijah replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your son and pour oil into those jars as each is filled and put it on one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another jar. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Verse 7, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on what is left. 
Verse 7 grabs our attention. She went and told the man of God and said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons will live on what's left. For the time that's mine this morning, on the last message of this series, I want to preach from the title, Surviving on Leftovers. Surviving on the Leftovers. Rashima, you know when it comes to living out our faith, we're going to answer the question, for whom and what did I live my life for? Nicole, many of us have come to faith because we were sold on a story that if we give our lives to Jesus, that everything will get better. Anybody got sold on that story this morning? Some of us interpreted that statement early in our faith that a relationship with Jesus exempts us from trouble and bad things from happening. Some of us in this room, if you're willing to be honest this morning, can say, I have faith and I am experiencing some trouble. Come on, talk back to me. Y'all don't have to get cute on me this morning. I come to talk to the real Christians this morning. You know, we looked at Haiti and Afghanistan, and even we can go as short as Annapolis, where people had faith but experienced some trouble. Marjorie, I come this morning to talk to people who got God in trouble in their relationship. I come to talk to people who got Jesus and having trouble with their children. I come to talk to people this morning who have faith and some financial trouble. I come to talk to people who have faith in God and struggling with your own worth and value. I come to talk to people this morning who have security in God and still fighting your own insecurity. I come to talk to people this morning who got the presence of Jesus but still struggling with grief and loss. Do I have a real church here this morning? The rapper Eminem put it like this. Will the real Slim Shadies please stand up? Uh, anyway, I come to talk <laughs> to people who are real. Great City, our faith is a faith of goodness and grief. And I know we've been sold on the goodness of the Lord and thank God for the goodness. But people of God, this faith that we are part of has goodness and grief. Amen. People sell us on the goodness of the Lord and somehow fail to tell us that there's grief that comes with this faith. But I'm so glad Jesus is not like people. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you this so that you can have peace. In this life, you're going to have some trouble, but be of good cheer. Here's the good news. I'm going to be with you in the trouble. Come on, y'all. That's the good news. He promised, church, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He promised that he would be our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in the triumph 
of trouble. What makes God good is not the absence of grief, loss, or trouble. What makes God good is that despite of the grief and trouble or anything that we've done wrong, he says, I'm going to be with you. You are not alone. That's the God that I serve. See, there's a security we can have with God that we can't have with people. See, you know, even, you know, let me be honest with you. Even some movies I watch, there's a sense of security. You know, you've watched superheroes, Batman, Superman. I don't care what happens. You know that Batman is going to come back to life. I don't, and for 50 years, I've been watching Batman, Superman, Superwoman. And for 50 years, they have come back to life. There's a sense of security that comes that rests because you know that the story would be messed up if something happened to Batman, Superman. There's no longer a storyline. But the problem is, church, some of us have given people in our lives that kind of storyline. And when you've given them that kind of storyline and they leave you or they pass away or you get experienced that loss, it can shake our faith. That storyline of never always being there can only be Jesus. It can only be our Savior. But when we give others that storyline, like Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, and that loss happens, it shakes us. Grace City, I, I, I am one today to tell you that even my own life, I've been shook by grief and loss. You know, my wife and I can tell you that, you know, I, I was on vacation and I was reflecting on the last 15 years from 35 to 50, and I realized we lost jobs, we lost family, we lost businesses, we lost friends. We have lost a lot over the past 15 years, and it can shake you. It can shake your faith. And I, I, I'll, I'll even share, you know, since we're talking about stories, let me give you one story for our story. That, you know, when we were in the middle of grief and loss, you know, it was one of the hardest times in our lives in 2009 and 2008 time. And I will never forget that, you know, the Binghams invited us out to go out on a family vacation. Let's get away, get some rest, because they understood what we were going through. Some friends of ours who had a house in Sanibel said, you all can use our house, come on to the house. And you all go and, and, and go to Sanibel, and it was a time of re relaxation and refreshing. And I remember, church, sitting on this beautiful porch at 7 a.m. in this rocking chair. And all I would do was reflect on our loss. I kept reflecting. Every morning, I was reflecting. We lost this. We lost this. We lost this. But one morning, church, I was sitting in that rocking chair. And God said something to me that was life-changing. He said, Corey, don't tell me what you lost. Tell me what you have left. He said, Corey, don't tell me what you lost. I was there with you. Take another look. 
tell me what you have left. And I answered him. I said, God, I have you. I have my health. I have my family. And God said to me, Coy, you have enough to start all over again. You got enough left. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning who's experienced some extreme loss. But I come to tell you that if you have your life and you have your God, you have enough to start all over again. The question, Grace City, is not what have you lost. The question God is asking you this morning, what do you have left? Because if you can identify what you have left, I come to tell you after 15 years of experience, you can survive on the leftovers. Amen, amen. I would, but this is where we are in the text, Bob. In the text, we are identifying loss and grief. This woman lost her husband. It is the biggest loss you could ever experience. Some of us have had some huge losses this year. But what makes this loss even worse, church, is that this man was faithful to God and to the kingdom of God. He's in the company of the prophets. He's one of the people that spoke for God. It's even difficult when you've been faithful in ministry and it seems like God's taking someone abruptly. I'm talking to honest people in there. It almost feels unfair. All the people in the world doing wrong and you take this man who's ministering the word of God and changing people's lives. Can, can we be honest this morning? It almost seems like God owe this man more time for the work he's done. Come on, can somebody be honest with it? Come on, just nod at me if you want to be honest. He's been faithful in ministry. He's been faithful to God. And the Bible says he dies. What do you do? When it seems like death comes too soon and God feels like he's not being fair. Not only does she lose her husband, but she's at risk of losing her future or the next generation due to the debt that he owes. He looks at like he has it all together, church. He's out there serving the kingdom of God, but he found himself in debt. Ah, uh, he lost, listen, he looks like he helping, he's helping everybody else, but yet his family is in debt. The loss and grief has a way of exposing things that you should have been taking care of when you were living. Let me say that again. Loss and grief has a way of exposing things that you should have been taking care of when you were living. Can I ask you a question? Are some things you need to take care of while you have breath in your body? Are there some things that you need to take care of while you have breath in your body? If God took you right now, what would your debt be? Oh, 
You even think I'm talking about financial debt. Oh, no, I, I know. You know, you we're fine. I'm not talking about financial debt. Some of us will be in emotional debt. There are some conversations you need to have before you leave this earth. And you're at risk of leaving an emotional debt. There's some pain that needs to be addressed. And you're at risk of leaving some pain. There, there, uh, uh, there's some disappointment and lack of forgiveness that you are at risk of leaving in debt. And here's the bigger problem. is that the death is left to the next generation. Some of y'all still trying to figure out why your children act the way they do. Maybe some debt had gotten passed on. Some emotional debt had been passed on. The man dies and his wife cannot pay this debt. And the children, watch this, are at risk of being enslaved to the father's debt. The text says the father dies and the children have to pay for the debt. But the woman moves towards the man of God. The woman goes to the prophet of God. The woman goes to God. And watch this, church. Don't miss this. Lord have mercy. Don't miss this. She goes to the man of God and she cries. But I want you to understand something about her cry. She just doesn't cry her pain and loss. Her cry is a reminder to God what her husband meant to him. Y'all just missed that. Her cry it's just not a cry of her pain and loss. Her cry is a cry of a reminder to God of what her husband meant to him. Let, let me prove it to you. When she comes up to the prophet crying, what she does not say is, my husband is dead. Help. That's not what the text says. Look at it. Y'all not looking at it. The text says, she walks up to the prophet and says this. Your servant, my husband, is dead and he served the Lord. <laughs> Y'all missed that. See, when things go wrong in our lives, we want to blame. This woman didn't blame God for losing her husband. But she does hold God accountable to her pain. <laughs> if I was in a Baptist church right there, this church would be over. It would be over right there. God, watch this, y'all. She's not blaming God. She doesn't call. She's not blaming him. But she is holding him accountable to her pain. God's okay with holding him accountable to your pain. Let me tell you why. 
because that's what makes him a good God. He says, I would never leave you nor forsake you. I will walk with you in this. I never promised you you wouldn't get trouble, but I promise you I will walk with you. She holds God accountable to her pain. She tells him the problem. And watch this, y'all. What does the man who stands in the place of God say? How can I help you? <laughs> and the second question, y'all like that. Here's the She said, how can I help you? And watch this. What do you have in your house? Two questions in one. She didn't get the, didn't even get the answer. How can I help you? But what? do you have in your house? In other words, I want to know, I know your experience of the loss, but what do you have left? See, at this moment, this is the moment where the prophet is shifting her to recovery. Recovery doesn't start with reflecting on the loss. Recovery starts with reflecting on what's left. That's another point where I think the church would have been done right there. Recovery starts with reflecting on what's left. Great City, if we're going to survive on the leftovers, I believe the first thing you need to understand is God can see the potential in your leftovers. God can see the potential that's in your leftovers. Let, 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 me, let me prove to you. Elijah said, how can I help you? And then he says, what do you have in your house? What do you have left? Listen to our response. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of oil. The prophet tells her to assess what she has in her house. Her response is, I have nothing except oil. The, old, the woman only sees the enormity of the problem in her scarcity of not enough. But God sees the potential in the leftovers and the possibility for more than enough. Oh, y'all just, God, that's another one. That's another one. Y'all are missing shouting moments. These are called shouting moments. You stand, you say, oh, Lord, that's good right there. You are missing shouting moments. Grace City, I know all you can see is not enough. But God sees potential for more than enough in your leftovers. The thing that you say, I only have a little bit. I've discovered something. I couldn't find it in the scripture, but the songwriter had it right. It should be scripture. He says, little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. Amen. <laughs> yes, Lord. I'm not making this up. The first miracle in the scriptures. Then there was a wedding at Cana. And they had a little bit of wine. But 
little bit in Jesus' hand, and little became much. And they fed, all those people were able to get wine. Oh, I'm not finished. You know there was a little boy who had two cans of sardines and a piece of bread. And he was out there with 5,000 people. But little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. He said, give me them sardines. Give me that bread. Watch this, y'all. He fed 5,000 men, all the women, all the children. Watch this. And 12 baskets was left over. Oh, you can survive on the leftovers, church. You can survive. There's potential <laughs> in the leftovers. God sees the potential in your leftovers. See, you thought it was over, but God can still see the potential, church. The first thing God sees is the potential on the leftovers. But the second thing I see, uh, here, here, this is where we're not going to shout. Uh, God sees, God has a process for your leftovers. <laughs> Uh, that was your shouting moment. This is your quiet moment. God has a process <laughs> for your leftovers. Now, this is the process, church. He says, listen, I want you to go to your neighbor, borrow jars, containers, Vessels, I'm giving you all the interpretation of what the word is. Jars, <laughs> containers, vessels, and I want you to borrow not a few, but a whole lot. You got a little bit of oil, but get a whole lot of vessels. Somebody said that's a setup. You got a little bit of oil, but I need you to get a whole lot of vessels. This is important. Because he says, go to your neighbor. He doesn't say, go to the bar from people that you like. He doesn't say, bar from the neighbors that you're most comfortable with. He doesn't say, bar from neighbors who have the same economic status as you. He does not say, bar from neighbors who, 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 who you look alike. He, he doesn't say, bar from neighbors who you have things in common. He says, go to your neighbor and get borrow vessels. And then here's the process. Take the little bit that you have and pour it into that vessel. See, this, this is the problem, and I know this makes sense, right? And I understand because we get logical and, and things like that. And I'm not trying to get you illogical, but I, I'm going to give you a God principle. We serve a God that's more than enough. So when you have less than enough, what you have left is a seed. So God says, take the little bit that you have and pour it in the vessel. Pour it in your neighbor's container. Lord have mercy. Here's our problem. When we get to a little, we hold on to it and squeeze on it, hold back or try to preserve it. God's process is when you have a little bit, take that little bit 
and poured into your neighbor. Okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me give you a break and talk about me. 2008, I told you I was in the most horrible moment and most loss we've ever experienced. We had lost our business. We were, it was horrible. I'm in court. We're in court. It is awful in this moment in my life and Rashima's life. It is absolutely awful. And God has a nerve to ring my phone and say, hey, I got a pastoring opportunity for you. Now, I said, this is wonderful. I got to meet the people and everything. I went to a meeting and I said, this is awesome. In my mind, I said, look, let me get through what I'm going through in life and my wife and my family, let us get through that. And then later on, maybe this opportunity come and we'll do that. God said these words to me I'll never forget. Marjorie, he said, I don't need your opinion. I need your obedience. He said, I don't need your opinion. I need your obedience. God's process doesn't need your opinion. God's process needs your obedience. It didn't make sense in the condition that we were in to even consider pastoring anybody. But he said, I want you to be obedient. And God, watch this. He fixed that and dealt with the church too. <laughs> he said, you do what I tell you to do and I'll take care of that. He's more than enough. I, I'm great quick. Listen, church. He sees your potential. God has a process. The last thing I see here, and I'm going to let y'all go. God has made provision. God has made provision. He goes, here it is, he says, she went and told, so she poured into the oil the container, put the containers on the side. She then took it to the man of God, and the man of God said these words. He said, go sell the oil, pay their debt, and you and your sons will live off the rest. The man of God told them that they could survive on the leftovers. Sometimes it is, uh, sometimes church, the problem with that is that when God is calling, it, it, the danger in missing the process and moving to provision, don't miss this y'all. Sometimes we get like Daniel's son when he's in the face of Mr. Miyagi. Sometimes we get like Daniel's son when he's in the face of Mr. Miyagi. One of my favorite movies is The Karate Kid. 
And the ones who got the thing is smiling right now. They know where I'm going with. But the rest of y'all, let me catch you up. Um, Daniel's son and the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi gave him a process. Daniel's son was having trouble. He was having problems. But he put him through a process. He gave him a process that he really didn't understand. He said, I, he rolled to Mr. Miyaki, I need your help. He said, I want you to wash the car. And, and he went over there and he washed the car. And then he told him to paint the fence. And he started painting the fence. And then he uh, told him, sand the floor. Then he sand the floor. And he was painting the fence. He was washing the car. He was sanding the floor. And Daniel's son got frustrated. He wanted to know, what does this process have to do with what I'm asking you for? What does this process have to do with that? And Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son got a nerve to say, I quit. I'm walking away. I'm leaving this. I'm not doing this anymore. And Mr. Miyagi got in his face and he said, Daniel's son, paint the fence. Daniel, son, I don't know what the other two, I can't think right now. Whatever, you know. <laughs> but he told <laughs> this is why you should write the end of your sermon down. <laughs> but he tells him, and he does it over and over again. And then finally, he sees it. He says, oh, watch this, y'all. This is creating provision what is about to come. I am prepared. You were preparing me for the provision that is about to come. You are preparing me for Jaira. <laughs> you are preparing me for what I'm about to provide for you. It was preparation. How many of us have missed the provision because we quit on the process? <laughs> he went through the process. And watch this, church. The sons were saved. Well, there's another boy who was a man that a God that saw potential in his boy. He said, he looked at his boy and he looked at his people and he said, my people are in trouble. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He saw the potential. Not only did he tell the potential, he gave a process. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debts he paid. From the cross to the grave, to the grave to the sky. That's why we lift his name on high. He saw the potential, he saw the process, but he made the provision. Can I give you the provision? When I was sinking, <laughs> deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea 
heard my despairing cry. From the water he lifted me. Now safe am I. You want to know why I'm where I am this morning? It was his love that lifted me. It was his love that lifted me when nobody else could help. Let us pray. Our Father, I thank you for your word this morning. We have survived on the leftovers. Now, God, you know what your people are in need of. You see the potential. Ah, you've given them a process. You are our giant, our provider. And we love you in Jesus' name.